As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Roy Hodgson's back in the Premier League dugout. Can he save Watford and what does it mean for their future? We'll talk about Everton and Vita Pereira's stunning interview, mid-interview process. We'll also talk about what's going on in the EFL at the moment with some great managers in the Championship, what's going on in League One and League Two as well. We'll also be speaking about the worst games we've ever seen, including why bad and good must sometimes come together. This is The Game. Welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wisencroft alongside Tom Clark, James Restall and Jonathan Northcroft. Plenty to discuss. We're going to deep dive into the EFL a little bit later on, but we've got to start in the Premier League. There have been developments. Roy Hodgson back into a Premier League dugout at the age of 74, breaking his own record for the Premier League's oldest managerial appointment. Watford desperately need him. Since we last spoke, they've obviously confirmed the sacking of Claudio Ranieri. The club at 19th in the table, two points from safety. And Roy Hodgson is a steady hand. And that is not necessarily what we've associated with Watford in recent years. So, Johnny, firstly, on Roy Hodgson, what do you think is motivating him to get back into a dugout at this age? He first managed back in 1976. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple word. I think it's it's just love at this stage. He's done most of the things he wanted to do in his career. He certainly wouldn't need another contract. I interviewed him back in um, <clears throat> late May when he was leaving Crystal Palace and it was supposed to be his farewell to football interview and um and you could tell he wasn't ready i mean he it one you know he said at one point oh I, I don't want to go to the grave trying to cram in another another training session but then on the other hand he said oh yeah but i don't want to be the cowboy that rides in the sunset i've got a lot of friends in football depends you know maybe what comes up and at that point you kind of knew mentally he wasn't finished with it and i, I think having sort of being close to Roy with the various clubs and teams he's covered, I think what what really strikes you is he's one of these people who just loves the football environment. He loves players. He's surprisingly kind of relatable to young players. I think he loves everything that goes with a football club, the the the, the staff you work with, the training ground, the dinner lady, the the receptionist, the the, the kind of gate man, the the, 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 the being with staff, even quite like suppressed side of things, even though he can be quite cantankerous in, in, in his media, but he actually he quite enjoys that cut and thrust. So he's just somebody that's not ready to, to give up the environment. And if you think about his career, he's had this incredible enduring career, eight countries, 23 different posts. He's worked with young players, older players, 
And as I said earlier, he's been relatable to all of them. And I think he's he's just done that by being very Roy. You know, he, he never he, he's just so totally Roy that it enables him to translate whatever the era and whatever the team. And he has that love. He just has that thing that that um, uh, you know. This is this is just the fun of it for him. This is the challenge. This is the love. And I think it's such a good story that he's back in this kind of cynical world, etc. Of, of, of football that you've seen a guy that's just just doing it because it's great. You know, being a football manager to him is great. It is such a unique story, almost in modern football, isn't it? Because we have these journeyman managers, if you like the Sam Allardyce's, Mark Hughes, those kind of managers. But Johnny Roy's above that, isn't he, in in terms of experience and in terms of the size of the clubs he's managed. You know, he's he's kind of gone to Watford now, was at Fulham, was at Palace, West Brom. You know, how how do you think he's viewed in terms of, in football management terms, you know, in terms of his uh, legacy, if you like, because he's managed big clubs, he's managed England, he's managed abroad. You mentioned there some of the young players he was seen at times as a bit of a tactical visionary, I believe, in his earlier career. You know, how, how is he viewed, if you like? Yeah, I, I, I think he has always been viewed as a figure of some significance outside of this country. Hmm. Firstly, for how he started his career in, in Scandinavia, when I guess he helped bring a revolution to the continent, which was English football ideas. You know, the, the sort of Bob Houghton, Charles Hughes kind of four four two, which which, you know, Sven... Gordon Erickson, I suppose, was a disciple who then rose and achieved what he achieved from Scandinavia. So, you know, there was that. There was this, he was a very successful manager of Switzerland. He's well regarded in Italy, which is where, of course, the link with the Pozzos dates back 20 years when he, when he was a, a boss at Udinese. And when I covered England and Roy was manager, he, could, he, he was a figure that the opposing manager always had a clear respect for, for what he'd done. And Belatedly, I think very belatedly, his own country's come round to that. If you you know you mentioned Fulham, Tom, I mean, took Fulham to a European final. Yeah, absolutely. It's forgotten with a great team as well, and you know, a, a, a really watchable team. Succeeded at West Brom is the job at Palace. I think is is the job that enabled Crystal Palace to go from yo-yo club to an established Premier League club. That almost set them up for twenty years. The, mm. the stabilising job he did there. I don't think he needs to keep Watford up in terms of his legacy, but if he did, I mean, my God, that would be that that would take him to another to another level. I think, and I think what, if you talk about it just in coaching terms, one thing that Roy I think maybe pioneered among English coaches, but is second nature to the best coaches that we've seen come out of the continent, is that really forensically detailed positional work, the kind of stuff that that Guardiola and Tuchel and Klopp do and they, they do it with a different view of football they do it with a much more attacking view of football Roy's you know he, he, is, he is quite a defensive manager of course but you know for, for, I used to hear about him at Fulham drilling his players doing endless shape work at a time when British coaches weren't really doing that so much and you'd, you'd hear oh my god a Roy Hodgson session it's unbelievable it's, it's like an hour of just standing around shuffling three paces to the left <laughs> in formation <laughs> But he's he's a man of coaching detail as well, and and that of course is now where British coaches have had to go to keep up with the foreign guys. But he was doing that a long time ago. Johnny, uh, it was interesting what you said there about how England is belatedly coming round to 
just what a, mm. a brilliant coach he's been. It was really interesting seeing the reaction on social media to the appointment because there was a real warmth there that you don't mm. normally see with managerial appointments. And there was a, it, it made me think really that almost, is there a thing in football that you're almost, you're, you're most appreciated when you're no longer there? Because yeah. at the end of last season, uh, there was a lot of, there, there were a lot of grumbles around Crystal Palace. I think there was, there's an, I was talking to some Crystal Palace fans recently and they were saying that it's almost a generational split. The older fans really respect mm. what Roy achieved at Palace in, as you say, stabilizing them as a Premier League club and actually, setting them up so that Patrick Vieira's come in and they can now play a different style of football, progressive style of football, um, but they can but but the foundations were all there. But the younger fans were kind of they 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 very much wanted to move on and they wanted to have a they wanted to have more exciting football to watch. But I think it's interesting how yeah, I I feel Roy's almost been un- underappreciated and it's taken it's yeah. almost taken him to step out of out of the game for us to <laughs> to actually really think you know what a, what a great guy this is I think that's true and, and the Palace thing's interesting because it was probably the right time actually exactly for what you say about the, the fact there was a need or a desire to move on among the younger fans and Roy probably wasn't going to be the man that was going to take them to where they are now which is a team that can maybe dream in, in two or three years of of being where a Wolves or a, or a Leicester or whatever are. And Roy was always going to be that kind of stable manager. And, and maybe the fact that he left before we got to that point where there was a sort of kickback against him is good for his legacy. But I think, I think you're right about the you don't know what, what you've got until it's gone element to it because what Roy represented, I think, which is what people really connected with in this latter phase is just decency, you know, a man of decency, of 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 kind of, you know, good solid values for the game in this kind of, you know, sort of increasingly bizarre soap opera of the Premier League. I think a real good reference point. And um it was poorer from being away and it will be better for him being back on match of the day on a, on a Saturday evening it's it's that kind of human thing isn't it turn on your TV there's nice old Roy talking about football and, and things feel feel quite good again there's 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 one that I, I'm really looking forward to uh, to when Watford play Brighton because I remember I remember <laughs> speaking to uh, Graham Potter years and years ago when he was in Sweden and was saying that by getting his team Ostersons to play three at the back he was almost breaking away from what Roy had done mm. some 30 years before in in getting um, Swedish football playing four at the back and um, how, how amazing it is that we've had almost two full generational cycles of football management who could be on the touchline there uh, going head-to-head in a Premier League game. I think is wonderful. That is Watford's next match, of course, there we as are. well. At uh, 12th of February, uh, after the FA Cup, next Premier League match, that is. Um, but we've got to talk about the football here, and there is a wider context for Watford as well, because as I said earlier, the, the appointment of Roy Hodgson almost goes against what they've done. Okay, Claudio Ranieri, an experienced older manager, but, you know, the constant changing of managers at Watford, you know, the Roy Hodgson appointment doesn't really seem like. You know, that's that's not the manager that you sack after four or five months because he he does take time to get his methods across. But we know that they do work if he's at a club long enough. So what are Watford right now? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to be? Can we really complain about the fact they chop and change their managers when they had a long stretch in the Premier League down in the championship for a season and, and now they're back? 
I think if Roy Hodgson is still there at the end of the season, that's pretty good for Watford in terms of consistency, isn't it? Three managers in a season. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually begrudge them and find it as shocking and remarkable as some of their other managerial choppings and changings precisely because of how the bottom of the table looks. I think this is almost a season where, you know, let's say if Dean Smith hadn't given Norwich any kind of upturn, you could have said, well, justifiably, they could change manager again because the, those four teams at the bottom seem to be so tightly packed that Watford are just trying to give themselves a chance because Ranieri's had a shot and he doesn't seem to be improving them. So let's get another guy in because we're still in with a hunt. Quite often you might bring a new manager in, it gets to the new year and you're already, you kind of, you know, start the planning for the championship. But they don't need to. They probably look the weakest of those teams down there at the minute. Everything Johnny's talked about in terms of Roy Hodgson's skills and experience means that they've got a real chance now. Um, And it was interesting, James references some Palace fans. There's quite a few in the office that we sit near. (laughs) And A, they were all very complimentary of Roy Hodgson. And B, they said with that group of players, they could see him getting them out of trouble based on what he did at Palace. And then how long does he stay if he does that? Well, the, the broader question of what are Watford is probably one of the most difficult in football to answer. We talk about what are this club, what are that club. We've talked lately about Everton and and teams like that. Watford, I mean, is almost um, the the opposite. This is what they are. They they are the boing boing up and down team who do who who chop and change managers as much as they chop and change divisions. If he keeps them up, I think just for pure um, you know um, soppy narrative <laughs> reasons, I would I think it would be great if he walked away. And that was a brilliant coda to a wonderful managerial legacy because no one wants to see Roy Hodgson being sacked in September, do they? I mean, I, I just think that would be that would be an awful way for it to end. And then I think he has such a love for the game that I'm sure even then I wouldn't rule him rule him out coming back somewhere else. But I think that would that would just be such a sour way for it to end if he if he went you know if he, if he if he was sort of sacked with you know Watford winless in six or something like that i think the points johnny's made kind of hint that unlike some other managers say sam allardyce when he went to west brom hodgson has a has a bigger cv and more experience and has worked at different levels and achieved different things so that even if he were say took Watford down and was then sacked I don't think it would matter that much to his legacy and it also I don't think would matter to clubs this time next season in the Premier League to go mm-hmm. let's give Roy Hodgson a go because that is also to come back to your early point Hugh that is what Watford are they're the club that you can go to get sacked by and it doesn't destroy your reputation because they're Watford so other teams and other owners look at them and go oh he did get sacked by Watford yeah but it's Watford come on let's not judge him too harshly on that <laughs> yeah. Even 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 Watford look and think he got sacked by Watford. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but um, no, I mean, just if, if Roy kept them up and could then give them what he gave Crystal Palace in terms of developing Watford as a business, I mean that's obviously what the owners would love. If if he could give them that phase of stabilising in the Premier League, if he could somehow keep them up, I think he'd then be a pretty good guarantee. To, to give them a, another two or three years of Premier League football for as long as he was around. And then you're in a different ballpark as a football club. You know, you, you should be a bit more uh, bulletproof towards going down. So I, I think that the curiosity was pointing Ranieri, actually, because, you know, his record in similar circumstances wasn't good um, at, at Fulham, whereas Roy is probably the appointment they should have made early in the season, um, but it may not be 
too late uh, making it now. Look, we're going to save a chat about Everton's managerial goals. When they make a new appointment next week, I'm sure we'll be chatting about it if they make a new appointment or they make some decision on their future. Um, But we've got to say, James, Vita Pereira, who is one of the names being spoken about, 25 minutes on Sky Sports (laughs) News. It was unbelievable. I've never seen a manager mid-process with a club. You know, this this could earn this guy a sizable amount of money. Going onto TV, on the phone, for as long, being asked questions about the process, who he's spoken to, how it went. He was giving his, he was giving feedback like he was speaking to one of his mates. It was incredible. Yeah, they liked it. They liked what I said about intensive pressing football. Yeah, I think I got good feedback. Just waiting for a call, actually. <laughs> just waiting for a call. So Everton, you know, make a decision, basically, was, was so, so, sort of the big point out of it. Have you ever seen anything like it, James? Not really. I can't think of, a, of another comparative um, situation off the top of my head and I was thinking about it last night actually it's a symptom of like what happens when a club is so indecisive about their targets I mean we've looked at I think when when Everton sacked Rafa I think the names that were initially put forward or the names that were initially being reported were Jose Mourinho Wayne Rooney Frank Lampard Vitor Pereira and I think that it, that, that just shows a club that hasn't really got any clear strategy or vision because those are four incredibly different managers and they've come round to Vitor Pereira um, who I think a large number of fans in this country probably weren't aware of when um, when his name started to be mentioned there's been a big backlash among Everton fans there have been some protests um, there were protests last night and um, he's taken the kind of whoever who I don't know whoever's involved in this but there has been a calculated gamble it seems taken um, to try and win over the fans and say no I am this is my this is my brand of football this is what I will bring but surely you're already fighting a massive losing battle if before you're even appointing the guy you're trying to get him to win over the fans it feels like no back him appoint him if he if you feel he is the right man to take the football club forward you you appoint him and then he does his justification on the pitch with upturn in performances and results the fact that it's almost that there seems to be a PR campaign sort of you know while job interviews are going on feel, feels just incredibly weird and there's a, there's a bigger picture here about what Everton want to be and you know the, the Paul Paul Joyce wrote a brilliant piece uh, uh, about this as well and 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 I do think you're not just better off giving it to Duncan Ferguson to the end of the season. You know, why why try and convince the fans over somebody who, let's face it, if he fails, they might have to sack and change again. Uh, For me, I I would genuinely just have a proper considered process, look at where you want to be as a club and... You know, Duncan Ferguson did a, did a very good job when he was caretaker manager last time. I know they're in a relegation battle. I know they've got, um, I know they've got some some serious injury problems as well and availability issues. But surely that would be the most kind of coherent plan between now and the end of the season, rather than what was quite frankly a bizarre, um, one of the more bizarre things we've seen this season. Johnny, what do you think about an interview like that? Have you, have you, I was going to say, have you seen one? Have you done an interview like this mid-process? <laughs> no, I mean, the, the only parallel would be um, Fahad Mashiri going on talk sport, but that's the only, you know, other sort of person that shouldn't behave like that, behaves like that, I think. I, I, I kind of, part of me felt sorry for Pereira because, 
you know, he'll be startled by images of, of, of graffiti uh, outside Goodison Park with his name on it. He'll be thinking, what, what on earth is this? It did strike me from a PR point of view that, you know, the whole process has weakened whoever is going to be the next manager. Whoever it is, is going to have a harder job than they should have done because of the process, because of the anger that's been further sort of stirred up among supporters. So, you know, even if it's Duncan Ferguson, it's a more febrile fan base than it was a week ago. It's mm. going to be that bit harder. And Pereira, if if he'd been just given a job and then he could sit at a press conference and, and say all the, that he said in his TV interview and, and outline this style of play, he would have started to win a few people around. That's always the way the cycle goes. You know, the manager gets appointed, fans are, even if fans are against it, once they see that that kind of introductory press conference, they almost always go, well, he spoke, oh, you know, he spoke quite well. Oh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he's not so bad. And he's been denied that. Whoever comes in has sort of been denied that. Um, it's, just, it's just bizarre. It's, it's utterly bizarre. I read a line about Everton today saying, you know, that the board now want to let the situation settle before plotting the next move. I mean, <laughs> what? You know, the, let, let, let's just see what the next bit of graffiti says or let's just see what the... <laughs> But the next, you know, odd kind of um, development in this is, it's it's um, it, it's sort of delicious in a way that, that that all the money in the world doesn't make you competent. I mean, that's that's kind of, I suppose, you know, one thing that sport sort of does. It, it keeps mm-hmm. people honest. Yeah. Um, but I do, but I do feel sorry for the fans. You know, I do, I do feel sorry for fans, for fans of that that football club. I don't particularly feel sorry for Mashiri. Well, I was going to say reports um, that Farhad Mashiri um, basically ignoring the wishes of his board, <laughs> allegedly, um, in terms of who the new manager might be. Although those reports also stated that he'd chosen Vita Pereira as the new manager and clearly listening to his interview on Sky, he's got no idea whether he's the new manager or not. So I think that situation does need clarification. Hopefully it comes in the next um, few days. Um, and when it does, if it does, we will talk about it in more depth on the Game Podcast at Everton fans. Uh, stay tuned. And there is more to come on the Game Podcast as well. But remember, if you're enjoying it, rate us, leave us a review and make sure you're subscribed. We'll be talking about the EFL a little bit later on. Everything to do with the EFL, to be perfectly honest with you. And we'll also talk transfers. Stay with us on the game. 
in the championship in particular are impressing as well as the tried and tested. But let's start with a new school. Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest continues to impress. Uh, the former Liverpool under-23s coach, Neil Critchley, doing a very good job at Blackpool. The former Leeds assistant, Carlos Corberan at Huddersfield as well. And we've got to mention Wayne Rooney at Derby, I guess. Tom, why are these managers showing that they could be destined for bigger things? Well, I think there's different factors at play. I think starting with Critchley, what's most interesting about him and Blackpool this season is that they haven't really come up from League One. They came up on a bit of a charge last season, got into the playoffs and... You know, did that. It was the momentum factor. And it seems like they've kind of really carried that on. They didn't make loads of signings in the summer, apart from one very key signing and bringing in the ultimate championship centre half in Richard Keogh. Um, it's about as perfectly championship bottom half as you could get. <laughs> and he's been really instrumental, obviously, with quite a young squad. But they've got much the same team, really. And they just continue to surprise people. So I think for him, momentum is a big factor. It's a club that was obviously in a bad, bad state for a long, long time and they've got, got things together, they've got the fan base behind them and they're very much the kind of difficult team to play against for all the top sides in the Championship. Corbran at Huddersfield is perhaps an example of modern football needing to give give managers time. I think there were lots of question marks over him when he came in about, oh, this is a bit bit strange, we're trying to be a bit trendy by go after the young man who was part of Bielsa's team, this won't quite work. And it was in the early days very much a a classic case of fans and journalists. I remember watching Huddersfield and thinking this just isn't working. You know, he was trying things like playing it out from the back, team keeping possession, working attacks down one flank in order to then score on the next one. Very classic Pep Guardiola. He's now finally got a squad together. He's got a striker in Danny Ward who's scoring goals and they look a real force. And again, they're slightly underappreciated, underrated. So he's an example of Give a give a guy time, which you don't always get in the championship. You know they were in a relegation fight last season, but he's an example of give a guy time and and give him the players that fit his system. This is the start, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, of me name dropping Lincoln City at every opportunity. Huddersfield <laughs> have got a guy at left back called left fullback called Harry Toffolo, who yeah. very much is all often part of their attacks. As I say, they play wing back systems. That's another f- interesting thing about the championship this season. The amount of back threes that we see with wing back systems is really interesting. It seems to be very much the on trend uh, formation in the championship this season. And um, Steve Cooper, I mean, similarly to talking about Roy Hodgson, it just seemed like a, a managerial appointment that really fitted. Nottingham Forest had had Chris Hewton for a long time not very increasingly increasingly unpopular with all the fan base they've got a lot of talented players got a very talented young player here comes the second Lincoln mentioned Brendan Johnson <laughs> who was on loan with us last season who is destined for bigger and better things than the championship um, whether it's with Forrest or not we will see but a manager like Cooper who gets a lot out of those young players as he has done in his career so far and you know seems to manage with enthusiasm as part of his mantra really and I think Hewton, not to criticise him too much, but being very much from the old guard, giving a big club like Forest with talented players the kind of verve and excitement, that seems to be. And I wonder whether, similarly to Blackpool did in League One, whether Forrest and our producer John will hate this because he won't want me to jinx them, but they do seem to be the team with that momentum. You know, they're going charging up the table. They're just outside the playoffs now. So, you know, there, there are three different stories there. And I mean, I'll maybe let Johnny speak about Wayne Rooney because we did a bit of a chat with him uh, about him on the show with Matt Lawton about Derby. So Wayne's obviously got an incredibly difficult task, hasn't he, Johnny? But it, he does seem to be in in the midst of the absolute 
nightmare that is Derby County. He do, does seem to be improving his credentials, sorry. He is, and, I, and I, you know, I think he's improved his credentials, let's say, just just in, in human terms. I think everyone admires his leadership and, and, and his graft and stickability in a really, really difficult situation. But I think he's also solved a lot of football problems. He's probably learned a lot. Him and, him and Liam Nassini have had to learn a lot on the job, but he's made clear impacts in, you know, 20 academy players. He's given debuts to his created players, like Plange up front. Um, Ebersaley, who's now getting interest from the Premier League, he's, yeah, he's done a lot of one-to-one coaching with, with him. He's had to lose players. Um, Jagielka, Graham Shinney going, big, big losses. Um, he changed the goalkeeper. I've seen, I, I spent a day with him um, well, you know, watching him train and, and he's he's quite, um, it, it reminded me in, in, in a way of also watching Bruno Large at work where both are quite kind of focused on looking at what the opposition do, not afraid to shuffle formation or shuffle game plans around or give players particular jobs on the basis of that. And yeah, I think, I think, I think Wayne's done really well in football terms as well as on that kind of more human level. And, and, and I'm, you know, as someone that knows him quite well, I'm quite glad that that it's enabled. I think this job, people to see him as he really is, which is despite being a superstar, he's 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 incredibly just just down to earth, normal, open sort of person who doesn't need to be a kind of you know gilded club in football um, to 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 be who he is and to be enjoying himself. And I think that's wherever he goes now it's going to stand him in good stead for the rest of his managerial career um, I would love to see him stay in and, and, and somehow pull it off um, it would be one of the great stories of the season um, but you know circumstances I suppose might end up being against that but what you know how 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 incredible would that be if he did? And just very quickly, Hugh, we should mention two other managers who probably aren't categorised as young and upcoming because they have kind of had their moments of hype. But uh, Mark Robbins at Coventry continues to do an absolutely remarkable job. They're ninth. They're four points off the playoffs at the minute. I mean, if they got in the playoffs, that would be one of the jobs of the season. Um, and Nathan Jones rebuilding his reputation back at Luton. They're in tenth, uh, six points off the playoffs. So not quite in the same category as some of those managers we've discussed in terms of making their names this season. Tiny budget at Luton though. Oh, absolutely. And at Coventry, Coventry as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Absolutely remarkable jobs. And again, it's maybe, I know Nathan Jones isn't consistency because he left and came back, but it's it's a reminder again, similar to the Corbrand one with Huddersfield, that if you give these managers time in a league which is so difficult and so competitive and so topsy-turvy, actually maybe you're better off with a solid foundation and a, and a manager who sticks around for a while. I think it's also a really good reflection on the academies in this country because I think a lot of the coaches you mentioned, um, particularly Critchley, started off, you know, they they, they came through, they developed their coaching careers in the academy at Liverpool. And I think, you know, we've seen the benefit to the England national team of these world-class academies and these world-class coaches, uh, world-class managers at the highest level. Um, But I think we're now starting to see uh, a number of coaches being produced as well who are who are making their name at sort of under 18 under 23 level in the Premier League and then going and taking jobs in the Championship League 1 League 2 uh, looking at um, Boris Green you know and, and their manager Rob Edwards he, he, they're flying in League 2 
he was in he was uh, the Wolves under 23 manager and then had a brief spell um, at St George's Park working with the England age group levels and you look at Steve Cooper won the World Cup um, at under 17 level with England um, five years ago we're seeing not just the Premier League academies but also the St George's Park setup is starting to bear fruit um, not just with players but with top coaches listen we were talking about Everton a little bit earlier on you know there there are high flying managers in the championship that they maybe should look at I mean oh wait Fulham Marco Silva been there done that <laughs> if only hey consistency like you said um, Fulham absolutely brilliant um, 73 um, goals scored in 24 matches this season. There are other managers doing very well as well. Tony Mowbray at Blackburn, Chris Wilder at Middlesbrough, both having very good seasons. What what did the, those two in particular, Wilder and Mowbray, tell us about the state of play in English football when it comes to choosing bosses? Is it a lottery? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Mm. Is, is there some kind? Is it, do certain clubs? have a better outlook on the manager's position and has that helped them, if you know what I mean? I think sometimes it comes down to what the clubs themselves want. And it's interesting when you th- say think about a Blackburn um, or and Blackpool. Blackpool were happy to pick Critchley and give him time almost because they'd been through such a bad period. And Blackburn the same. You know, Mowbray was the guy who took them out of League One. He came in after years and years of chopping and changing farcical scenes uh, on and off the pitch and it, it's he almost got that time because of what had come before the chaos that comes before and so that has to factor in in terms of what we learn about these managers that yes he's done an incredible job and continues to do I mean Blackburn's second in this championship when above teams like West Brom and Bournemouth you know that that shouldn't really be happening mm-hmm. it's, it's a remarkable achievement but it's um, it's an example of maybe managers benefiting by achieving solid goals get them out of League One but then it's reflected in the chaos that comes before Um, and I mean I don't know about you Johnny Mowbray had stints in Scotland I've always kind of found he was a little bit um, harshly viewed in terms of his ability I mean is this going to be the job that really lifts his status I really hope so and I think he was ahead of his time you know in Scotland he he, he started at Hibs and he Produced a really attractive, really attractive side with 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 young, exciting players that were very very watchable. I suppose he was defined by it not working at Celtic, but that was at a, that was at a very difficult time to take that job. Um, but he's always been, you know, a guy with real huge human qualities, a really one of the nice guys of football, and someone that's tried to play football wherever he's gone, tried to attack. Um, He's gone to sort of three four three this year, I think. Yeah. To try and get the most out of his forward line, and it's it's really benefiting Brereton Diaz, and and they're scoring a lot of goals. And and he's in in that long championship career that he's had since Scotland, he's never stopped trying to play his way out of the division. And it'd be incredible if he could if he could do that now. One manager I think we haven't mentioned, by the way, that I, I think we, we should look at in the championship if we're looking at you know who could go somewhere in the future is Ryan Lowe at Preston. Mm who had a fantastic win against West Brom last night. Mm. I think he's been overlooked in terms of his career. He took Berry up, took Plymouth up, has gone into a difficult situation at Preston and they're just starting to, they're starting to build a bit of momentum there. And they're another of those teams that um, could get into the, the playoffs. Young manager as well, plays good football. So 
I think, you know, adding some of the names we mentioned and, and Wilder as well in the mix, there's a lot of talent down there managerially. There's a, there's a lot of... Um, it's not it's not land of the dinosaurs anymore. Even even Wilder and Mowbray, I know they're older guys, but the the managers who've still got plenty to offer. I, I don't know. Is the gap is the gap just too big between the Premier League and Championship now that Premier League clubs aren't going to look there for managers, perhaps? But there's certainly managers there who could take clubs up and then make an impact in the way that let's say Thomas Frank has done with Brentford. Yeah, I, listen, I hope the game turns into a game that that sees substance more than perception because it is. It has been. I hate. It's one of the things I hate most about football. It's all about perception. You know, someone scores ten goals at a club lower down the league. Oh my word! Imagine if they were in a Champions League side. Someone scores ten goals at a Champions League side. Horrendous player. Ship him out. He's awful. It comes. You know, the same with managers. You know, you do a if you do a reasonable job with a big club, it's not good enough. If you if you you know finish with a you know, 15th with a club that we think should be a championship side, then you're a brilliant manager and you should be going off to do bigger and better things. Always about perception, rarely about, rarely about the substance. And I think we do need to give some respect to what people are actually, you know, achieving at their respective clubs. Absolutely. But the the slight problem comes is that we've seen quite a lot of players recently. Jared Bowen, a great example at the minute of someone who's banging form, having come up through the Football League. But players are completely different commodities to managers, aren't they? Premier League clubs can look at young players. Michael Elise at Crystal Palace this season. Um, Eze as well for them last season. They they can look at these players and they can sign them and they can be part of a team that goes down, but they're still a a hot property. They're still a commodity. With a manager, it's a completely different thing, isn't it? Um, You're taking a completely different risk, if you like, with your appointment. Um, So that's where I I hope I'm wrong, but I, I... do wonder whether, say, Neil Critchley gets Blackbird, Blackpool sorry, in the promotion places next season, whether this time next season when we're talking about who Everton are going to go for after changing their manager again, whether they, he'd actually even be in the conversation. I doubt uh, it. They can't, they can't appoint another red, unfortunately. <laughs> another Copite would be a huge mistake. One bit of transfer news, talking of you know good players down in the Championship and good managers. Uh, you mentioned him once already, Brennan Johnson at Nottingham Forest. The club turning down, we believe, a bid in the region of £18 million for him. Unanimous decision by the board. They want to hold out for at least £20 million. That's a lot of money for a championship player that scored five goals. I've seen him in the flesh. You have too. <laughs> very good player. Very yeah. dangerous player. I think, you know, whenever a ball goes on his side of the pitch, you feel like something might happen. Yeah. Um, but are Forrest making a mistake in not taking this money now? I don't think so, no. I actually think particularly with the manager he's got, we've talked about already Cooper's ability with young players. And I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a Nottingham Forest fan and I was saying that I really hope Brennan Johnson stays at Forest for now because of the momentum that they're on because of the manager that they've got this is his chance he's still very young and very raw he was brilliant for Lincoln last season far too good for League One yes but when you think about some of those players the Ivan Tonys um, Ollie Watkins he's not had that length of time in the Football League and that can be a massive thing for a player's development if you were to then go to a Premier League club and be on the bench you know, he's also got a very smart setup with him, Brennan Johnson. His dad, David Johnson, former player, is quite vocal on social media about his, you know, doing the right things, and he seems to have quite a sensible um, team behind him. So, I, I hope for his sake and for Forrest's sake that he stays, just because I think the player will end up better at the end of it, and Forrest themselves will end up getting thirty million rather than twenty million. 
while we're here, what have you been seeing in League One and League Two as we're discussing the EFL that maybe we should keep an eye on? James and Tom, I'll focus in on you two guys for this one. James? Possibly the worst game I've ever seen was what I've been seeing in League <laughs> Two recently. Starts I, by talking no, it up. Uh, no, no, no. Um, it's, it's been really interesting in League Two this season, um, not least because I think um, across the Football League, but particularly in League One and League Two, where we've had lots of COVID postponements recently. It has really distorted the picture, I think, a little bit. Um, uh, I, I was uh, uh, watching Orient at the weekend. We, it was our first league game for um, nearly a month um, after four matches were called off due to COVID. Um, before then, we'd had a remarkable run where we were scoring goals for fun at home. I saw us score five goals for, at home for the first time ever as a fan, which was um, which was which was unbelievable. Looking like we were going places under Kenny Jacket, but you, you take you take a team. You know, you 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 you, still, you, you don't get a, you don't play a, a game for four weeks or regular football, and um, it just was a. It, we played Port Vale. Uh, it was nil nil. Um, it was really a kind of someone someone um, sitting near me in the stadium said, "This is going to be won by the least worst team, isn't it?" Mm-hmm. Um, it was that kind of a game. Um, notable, really, for. Um, uh, not not any of our strikers being a fox in the box, but an actual fox running onto the pitch um, <laughs> and going into the box and, and then running out of the stadium again. And then in the second half, uh, the, the, the episode of Planet Earth, it became as uh, a flock of parakeets flew into the stadium and entertained <laughs> us. So um, it was it was pretty dire fare. But, um, uh, and they lost again at, at home on Tuesday night to, to Newport County. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time to get up and running. But uh, there's a lot, you know, there are a lot of clubs that are, a lot of clubs that are in a similar situation. And um, as I mentioned earlier, um, Forest Green are absolutely flying in League mm. Two, and they will, they'll take some catching, I think, um, at this stage. Um, and down the bottom, um, there's just the awful story of, of Oldham, which I'm sure we've mentioned before on the pod. But they're in absolutely dire straits. Fans rightly furious with the ownership, and it looks like I mean, as an Orient fan, we were in this position a few years ago. Lots of clubs have been this, where you have a disastrous owner. Um, and you just sort of sleepwalk down the leagues and into into non-league, um, and so um, so yeah, a pretty pretty grim situation at Oldham, really. I mean, the thing with Oldham for me, being from the northwest, is when you think about some of these other clubs as well, Bury and Macclesfield, who've gone, it does make me reflect. Um, and I don't know what you think about this, Johnny, having covered football for a long time and your collection with these clubs. You know, you've got the big Manchester clubs in that area. You've got Liverpool as well. In terms of luring communities and football being far less localised than it was before you know for the, for these clubs like Berry and Macclesfield and now Oldham this is about far more than football this is the whole community and it, it, it can really decimate an entire town and I, I've reflected before that the northwest in particular is an area where there are so many of these teams Wigan who I'll talk about in a minute when it comes to League 2 uh, League 1 sorry Rochdale these sort of clubs that it just feels like a downward trajectory in every sense and you're relying on good ownership which is hard to come by in the lower leagues of football the, the, this is the thing the, the pandemic has, has 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 really exposed the fact that you need to be you actually need to be quite a shrewd businessman to run these football clubs and yeah. you need to have innovative ideas um i mean we we i think i think when the restrictions eased orient did something crazy like they did pitch side dining. They opened the stadium up as yeah. an outdoor restaurant just to just to just to get some revenue, uh, and and 
you need you need to particularly i mean from from orient's case whilst you know there is the, there's the sort of long held belief that players will always want to come and play in london um you know they are fighting with west ham at the olympic stadium on their doorstep yeah. arsenal tottenham um and and then you know you've got a premier league which has Chelsea and Brentford from West London in it and Fulham flying in the championship so it's a very it's a very competitive marketplace but you I think it's not just the case of these days I think having a kind of a a benevolent owner who will just put the money in and you'll be fine I think these clubs need to work really hard as businesses and yeah it's very difficult to be profitable but you need to be you need to find ways of generating income far beyond the football Uh, I've said before I don't think Premier League teams should play at three o'clock on a Saturday. Um, I think there's enough game slots, if you like, from Friday night all the way through to Monday night to get 10 games played and not and not interfere with the three o'clock. There's already a blackout for TV and I, I, I don't, don't necessarily think every Premier League game should be televised either. But, um, but I certainly think that time frame should be given to football league clubs and non-league clubs to play and, and maybe you can either go to an early game or watch it on TV, go to a three o'clock, maybe get back and watch the 5.30 on TV or in the pub and see your local team play live and, and give them that five or tenner that they need uh, to keep going. Johnny, sorry, were you going to come in there? I think it is just some of the themes that we've touched upon. It's about ownership. It's about keeping pace with modernity, I suppose. I, 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 I feel that Oldham is is a particularly poignant sort of symbol of of decline. Not least, um, I, you know, I got a personal connection to my, my cousin and, and and uncle are, are Oldham supporters, and um, you know, I I grew up with Oldham, you know, on that side of the family being a Premier League club and 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 being not just that you know a successful Premier League club under under Joe Royal and producing players like Dennis Irwin and Andy Ritchie and Earl Barrett and so on. And and the saga of Oldham can almost be seen in the the sort of saga of John Sheridan back for a sixth time. I mean, that is yeah. that is a club that's completely desperate and out of ideas. But funny ownership over the years, um, uh, a declining stadium um, that, that, you know, just hasn't had any love and attention, but was a great stadium back in the time. A club that struggled to work out what its identity should be because it, it traditionally produced talent and made use of the Manchester area. It used to benefit a lot from United and City kids sort of being released and finding their way to Oldham. But football's ecosystems changed. So an academy kid is going to leave Manchester City and go to Borussia Dortmund, not not to Oldham. Mm. You know, Manchester United players are going to be out, outside of their remit as well financially. So it's a club it's a big place Oldham you know it's yeah. it, it's a big town like like Rochdale like Berry, like Stockport have been out of the league for what 10 years now mm-hmm. and and it's such a it, it's such a kind of change of 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 status for these places um that that is is really poignant because of what they've given to football over the years and it's ownership isn't it we always come back to this with the EFL mm. if there was just a way um to a, a will and a way to to make sure there were better owners of football clubs, which which you know how long are we going to keep talking about it? Um, never seems to come, but something needs to be done to protect protect fan bases and communities from from this sort of um, th- these sort of stories. I'm going to come back to what James said earlier on on the worst games we've ever seen, actually. <laughs> but just quickly, Tom, um, League One, um, what's going on there at the moment? 
Well, Hugh, there are three certainties in life, death, taxes, and the League One promotion race being ridiculously, ridiculously <laughs> tight. Um, four teams at the top, two points separating them, Wigan, Sunderland, Rotherham, and Wickham. Uh, just behind them, actually, MK Dons, who just very interestingly, the point Johnny was making about some of the big clubs not sending their players out on loan to your likes of Oldham, they do send them to MK Dons because MK Dons are a good example of a club in League One and I like to think that Lincoln are as well, where they've got a manager in and a system and a style of playing that big clubs look at and go, yeah, we'll send them there because they won't be lumping it long and etc. all the stereotypes about Football League. They'll be playing the proper way that we want them to. And, you know, that's that's an example of Brendan Johnson. You know, he was in a team last season at Lincoln where he was attacking all the time so he can step up into the championship and now be ready. MK Dons are doing that as well. So they're an interesting force lurking behind. But... League One is almost a contrasting tale, if you like, to some of the perils that we've talked about in League Two, because you've got two two clubs, Wigan and Sunderland, who spending like absolute, you know, desperately, desperately trying to reach that championship. You know, Wigan spent a lot of money on Charlie White, who had that awful incident with heart problems, which we don't know mm. whether that'll affect his career. But they're able to then go back out and buy Josh McGuinness, who was the striker who took Hull from League One to the Championship. So again, you're going to a league above and buying a striker to bring him in as a replacement, even though you've still got Charlie Wyke on the books. They've also been very clever and pinched Graham Shinney from um, Derby County. Sunderland have just signed Danny Bath as a centre-half, which is, I think is what they needed. But they've also signed uh, Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts, who mm. Premier League fans will have heard yeah, of. Yeah, you know, yeah. These are two guys who are going to play in League One. It shows you how competitive it is. I mean, I wouldn't like to say. I imagine all the all the supporters of those teams don't want me to make a prediction, but none, <laughs> none more so than Sunderland. I'd say every Sunderland fan whoever's listening to this is going. Please don't tip us to promotion. Please don't tip us for promotion. But I mean, it's, it's going to be so, tight. It's just so open. And the, th- the thing about League League One is just to get my final Lincoln City reference in is that we, despite having a poor season this season, have beaten Sunderland and Wigan. <laughs> at, their, at, at their grounds at their grounds you know we went away to both teams and beat them um, so nothing so what nothing. you're saying is six, 16th is definitely a false league position for Lincoln <laughs> no, City right now no absolutely not I've seen us this season we have been poor we're starting to improve but what I'm saying is that I often say this on the podcast when people talk about the unpredictability of the championship if you think that's back come and, come and watch League One mm. but I think you know what we've said about we've talked a lot about lots of stories there lots of talent we've talked about the perils of Oldham there's no Premier League this season. If you've got chance, go and watch a foot game in the Football League. There are loads of them out there. And I promise you, they're not always like James at Leighton Orient when it's the worst game of his life. <laughs> <laughs> there are some, there's some great talent out there and there's some great stories to be <laughs> you, seen. You might as well tell me, though, while we're on it, just to end the podcast, the worst game you've ever been to. Will it be a Lincoln City game? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I went with my dad and my cousin to watch us at Macclesfield. Uh, we stood up in uncovered seats. It rained and uh, we lost 1-0 but the match is significant because I'm sure you all follow this is back to Tom's things to look up on the internet but you know those Twitter accounts that kind of post classic moments from football Mm. classic 90s or whatever there's there's a scene you will have seen it if you've been on Twitter of a a mass brawl erupting and it was in that game is a classic kind of player flies in on a goalkeeper and it just all kicked off I think two (laughs) three players were sent off um, I think if you type Lincoln Macclesfield brawl in, you, it, it's good, good, old-fashioned I mean, 90s stuff. That, but the game 
was horrendous. I was about to say. We lost 1-0. It, it, it was absolutely awful. Mass brawl and several red cards definitely moves it out of well, you've the, got, the, the bracket of worst game But you've got to remember seen. for me. It didn't have parakeets, but it no had red para- cards. No parakeets and mm. we lost 1-0 mm. and I was soaked. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, Johnny, having been to thousands of matches, um, <laughs> will it be your beloved or will it be another game? Oh, well, look, the worst game I've, I've, I've probably seen in this emotionally was I had to report on Aberdeen being beaten 7-0 at Celtic Park, which was hor- horrific, but I suppose it was enjoyable for a Celtic fan. But no, a, a game I remember, it, 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 it was like my first full year of being a Premier League reporter. I'd, just, I'd come down from Scotland and it was Bolton-Southampton. I still remember it. It was a nil-nil draw. Big Sam's bolton with people like Okocha playing and Stelios and um, Ivan Campo and all that sort of stuff. Um, but just a, it was a grim winter's day at the Reebok. Um, nothing, just so little happened in the game. You know, hellish to report on because there's nothing to describe. Game of no significance. And it was a day that it just struck me that English football is just as capable of being rubbish as Scottish football. <laughs> um, and it was a bit of an education. Um, I saw a colleague, Anthony Colvain, once wrote of a, of a Leeds match, um, that a nil-nil, that it was the nilest of the nil, and it somehow got past the sub-editors. But um, I always <laughs> think of that. That, that, Bolton, that Bolton game was the nilest of the nil that I've ever seen. Just in defence of the Football League as well, I think we could all agree on England-Algeria at the South oh, Africa World God, Cup. Yeah. Oh, I, that was awful. I was oh, there. Yeah. I was there in the stadium, yeah. as I think I've said before, with a group of friends post-university. Yeah. Great fun mm-hmm. trip to go and watch the boys. And we all seen the first draw. Not we weren't in the ground for the USA game, but we had we all had tickets. We were all sat together. Big big night, built up to it. And honest to God, never felt as like utterly just oh. deflated and it almost like yeah, me feeling apathetic was, with England ever since. To be honest, yeah. that was the first game. That was the first World Cup game, definitely that I ever watched down the pub. And I remember, bit, and it was it was around. I think it was around the time of my A levels, and it was we were really excited. Feel so all of our, all of our, <laughs> Appreciate that. All of our, you know, there was a big group of us, uh, all, all really excited. We all felt like, oh my god, this is like being grown ups, and uh, <laughs> and then just 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 watching sort of. You know, it just became it became ninety minutes of just having a chat down the pub with your mates with some football going on in the background because it was absolutely <laughs> dire. I mean, this one is easy for me because those of us who braved Equatorial Guinea against Mali at the Africa <laughs> Cup of Nations last night for not just ninety minutes but extra time, and the penalties were equally horrendous, was one of the worst <laughs> games I have ever, ever, ever seen in my entire life probably the worst just very very quickly and Johnny I'm sorry to do this as a Scot but one of the great great bits of reportage on boring boring football came in a Scottish Cup game I I can't quite remember it but I don't know whether anyone can remember there was a brilliant brilliant report Mm. on a nil-nil Cup game James I think were you, were you yeah, in Scotland? I was time, working yeah. in Scotland at the time, and sadly, <laughs> sadly, I didn't write it. Oh. Um, but it was, it was. I remember this at the time because it was the, it was the Scottish Cup, and it was the, uh, it was the, the cup draw th- that year was the first time Rangers were drawn against Celtic after Rangers had kind of folded and come back again, and so there was lots of excitement around that at the time. It was November 2014, and um, a reporter called Callum Baird for the Herald wrote. The, a match report from Morton nil, Airdrie nil, which was at the same round of the cup. 
and he wrote back in the 6th century BC which is <laughs> match report starts <laughs> back in the 6th century BC when Babylonia fell the Persian Empire rose from its ashes and toga wearing Greek philosophers first started to look quizzically at tortoises the Chinese sage Lao Tzu delicately laid down the first few brushstrokes of the Tao Te Ching, the text that would go on to become the bedrock of Taoism. Lao Tzu had the faith in the duality of the universe. When people see some things as beautiful, other things become ugly, he declared. Yin and Yang. Each thing must, by its very nature, have an opposite. <laughs> so perhaps that in order to have that mouth-watering old firm derby drawn out of the hat on Saturday evening, we first had to sit through this, 90 minutes of the most tedious, excruciating football imaginable. <laughs> um, he goes. He goes on to, to. He goes on to sort of describe the action that he's. You know, for what seemed like an eternity, the large clock hanging over one of the stands at Capilo poked fun at the spectator. Time stood still. The little hand lazily ticked its way round, trundling through treacle. The match cloyed at the senses, and then um, we go through kind of play by play, and then the, the just the brilliant payoff. Both managers express their satisfaction at being involved in today's draw they are no closer to Hamden though and on this form neither of them will get anywhere near the poor crowd shell-shocked as they wandered out were left to contemplate these five chilling words there will be a replay <laughs> uh, that's about one as of good the, as it gets it, it's, it's as good as it oh, gets isn't it that's fantastic he peaked oh, he peaked with that he really did. amazing <laughs> I'm just disappearing down a bit of a Callum Beard rabbit hole now because I've just looked at the bottom of that report and the Airdrie chairman then went on the attack against them and, and, and gave his own sort of uh, press conference slaughtering Callum Baird for uh, for attacking his, his football club's um, <laughs> performance. Brilliant. Thank you very much for listening to The Game Podcast. Thank you to Tom Clark, James Restall and Jonathan Northcroft. We'll be back with you on Monday, hopefully with big news on what's going on at Everton and all the transfers. Of course, transfer deadline day on the way. I'll have my yellow tie with me. Uh, remember though, <laughs> if you're enjoying anything that we do from The Times and The Sunday Times, you can sign up today online, you can subscribe and if you do so, you will get yourself one month free so check it out it's the times.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you on thursday thanks for listening helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.